Happy New Year and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And today we continue our look into the films made in the last decades, the 2010s. And for today's episode, we shall probably look at one of the most memorable movies of the decade. It's the 2010 biographic drama, The Social Network, written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by David Fincher and starring Jesse Eisenberg, Rooney Mara, Andrew Garfield, Army Hammer and Justin Timberlake. The Big Five is certainly a term that has been coined up for some time now and has been used now for a vast amount of different things. You know, the Big Five animals at Safari, the Big Five personality traits, uh, the Big Five wins at the Oscar. Now, if I ask anyone the Big Five animals at Safari or the five big personality traits, some may even struggle to name all five, but nine out of ten people could probably name a few of them, probably remember the elephants or the rhino, but some would forget the obscure one, the one hidden behind the stature and presence of the the iconic and memorable elephant or rhino. The same applies for all the other big fives in any other category, especially the Oscars. We all know best actor or perhaps best film. Some may even guess best director or best actress, and they would all be correct. However, How many of you would get that obscure one hidden behind the stature of the Steven Spielbergs or in this case, David Fincher or Justin Timberlake? That's right. I'm talking about the one that no one gets. Best screenplay, the writing. The writing for a film is something that isn't appreciated enough since Tarantino made it popular culture again. But then again, he does direct his own film. So the direction sort of, you know, trumps the writing. But if you look at the films that he's written and not directed, like True Romance and Natural Born Killers, those films aren't given their due respect in terms of how good the writing was. The reason I talk about writers and the reason I mentioned the writer for this podcast is because Aaron Sorkin is the reason this film happened. The reason the film is probably one of the best films of the century. We all know Saving Private Ryan. We all know Steven Spielberg directed it. We know Tom Hanks was in it. But who wrote it? Who actually created this film? Who made it a reality? Who wrote Forrest Gump? Who wrote Jaws? Who wrote the last film you saw? Now, granted, without the actors and the directors, the ink never leaves the paper, but it's where it starts. It's where it's born. And with a movie, that is based on something that, you know, you know, especially with this movie where it's based on something that happened what less than a decade ago of the time of the film's release. It is truly remarkable how Aaron Sorkin managed to create such intensity and narrative with the birth of Facebook. Now, Aaron Sorkin is the man who makes dialogue quick, witty, tense. He makes it the action of the movie. It's what he does best. He's the man who wrote A Few Good Men, The West Wing, The Newsroom. He did Steve Jobs. And he's now recently started directing, notably for his recent Oscar contender, The Trial of Chicago 7, another biography. He seems to be hungry for telling the story of real-life people. Steve Jobs, Molly and Molly's Games, The Events in Chicago, The News and Newsroom, Billy Bean and Moneyball, and Mark Zuckerberg and The Social Network. He's been nominated for three times for best adapted screenplay the obscure one of the five he won for this movie the social network social network was nominated for eight oscars winning three of them with 40 million dollars of the budget um grossing five times that amount in the opening weekend it eventually over um grossed 400 uh, 250 million but it's not the money that's important with a film like this it's the legacy this film will leave behind it's the it's the way it creates an impact in you know 50 years to come. It's in the 1001 movies to watch before you die. Quentin Tarantino calls this the best movie of the last decade. 
Now I've been blabbing away about the writing, I didn't even mention the director, David Fincher, the man that brought you Mindhunters, Seven, Fight Club, Gone Girl. He is predominantly the reason why this film is excellent. The precision of the direction, the way he captures the tone of Harvard, and the unfolding of the story of how Facebook was created and something that pretends to be nostalgic to every single person who knows what Facebook is now. The idea was clever. Make a film where the plot of the story has 500 million followers and in, and in that... Advertise that as a tagline, which was, you don't get to make 500 million followers without making a few enemies. Saying that though, at the time of the release, Facebook had 750 million active users. So if everyone who had Facebook went to see this movie in a cinema, it would have ended up making over 6 billion at the box office, which would have been, yeah, a record, a big record. It would have been top. It would have been beaten Avatar or Avengers Endgames or Titanic by a clear way. So what is the social network about? What exactly has us so engaged in this movie? Or were we just curious because it was a movie about the beginning of the biggest social media platform ever? Hell, the beginning of social media full stop. The story about the world's youngest billionaire, Mark Zuckerberg, and how he created Facebook. And whilst achieving this, intertwining it with two separate cases of people suing him for stealing their ideas or pushing them out of the idea altogether. So the birth of Facebook, aka the setting for this film, happens in the winter of 2003 to 2004. And you may recall a line from one of the characters in this film when they said that Mark was the biggest thing in campus that includes 19 Nobel laureates, 15 Pulitzer Prize winners, two future Olympians and a movie star. And then one of the lawyers then asked who was the movie star and the response is, does it matter? Well, that movie star was in fact Natalie Portman, who was at Harvard between 1999 and 2003, and even invited the writer Aaron Sorkin round for a dinner party, invited all of her Harvard mates round, and they retold tales of the social life of Harvard, knowing that Sorkin was writing a film about the birth of Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg had originally said he never wanted to see this movie, but when word got out about how good this film was and how well it was doing at the Academy, he took several of his colleagues with him and watched it at a private cinema. And afterwards, he said in an interview, well, at least they got the clothes right. So Jesse Eisenberg, who um, plays Mark Zuckerberg, was nominated for the Best Actor for this role, his only Oscar nomination ever to date. Interestingly, he's played Lex Luthor before in um, one of the Batman movies or Superman movies. And so did the executive producer, which was Kevin Spacey, who is uh, big friends with David Fincher, obviously working together in House of Cards and Seven. But the role of Jesse was a particular challenge. See, Jesse Eisenberg suffers from OCD, so he had to speak in a way and behave in a manner he spent most of his life trying to avoid. And that was particularly challenging for him, but it was a fantastic performance, and that's probably why he got the Oscar nomination for this role. The line where he goes, wait a sec, I'm just checking your math on that. Yep, I got the same. The sarcastic comment he made, one of the many in the deposition scenes, is David Fincher's favorite line in his whole movie. And I think he even says in his whole career as well, which is quite a quite a thing to say if you look at his uh, CV, you know, Seven, Benjamin Button, Fight Club especially, you know. So during this film, he became pretty good friends with um, uh, Andrew Garfield, and they remained friends to this day, but found the competitiveness and tenderness of their characters adding a little friction to their real-life friendship, which David Fincher was absolutely fine about, which kind of relates to the movie. But it demonstrates the level of intensity that Fincher got them to portray for their characters. I mean, none of them met their real-life characters besides Justin Timberlake, who had a sit-down with Sean Parker and managed to get some good ideas on best you know, how to portray him. In fact, David Fincher said, do not meet your real-life partners. We're making a film here. We're making our version of the film. So he, even if they could, he wouldn't have allowed it. But Justin Timberlake got you know special permission to do it 
so Justin met him in, so he could sort of mimic the tone and the level of his voice, his mannerisms and how he sat and stand where, you know, these are all vital things for the character of Sean Parker. The rest had to go off with what others had said and from the direction of David Fincher and also Aaron Sorkin. Of course, Aaron Sorkin obviously got the the DL from Natalie Portman and her friends, so he kind of understood what kind of person he was. So Aaron Sorkin ended up wrapping the movie, actually. he um, What I mean by that is he directed the last shot of the movie, which was quite nice because this is sort of his movie more than David Fincher's because of his... I mean, the dialogue in this movie is just ridiculous. Um, but I think David Fincher was off ill or sick on one of the last days and one of the last shots they um aaron sorkin stepped in and did it so he you know fittingly finished the movie um the twins the winklevoss's twins were played by army hammer um and josh pence actually but um josh pence played the uh the other one but had his face cgi'd out from the neck down um because army hammer best looked like i mean he looked exactly like winklevoss's and josh pence and army hammer are not identical obviously but um, Josh Pence was, um, in fact, a, a member of the rowing team at university in real life. And he even rowed against the Winklevosses, which is quite strange or just really good casting. Um, if you're curious about what he looks like, you can have a look at him in the movie. He makes a brief cameo in it. He's the guy wanting to go to the toilet when Mark and Eduardo are blocking the toilet doors for the girls so they can get ready. So... Yeah, um, so they got Ralph Lauren to model Josh Pence strictly from the neck down and the two actors spent 10 months at a twin boot camp to match one another's subtle movements and rapport, which is, I didn't know there was such a thing. And Army Hammer was actually told to eat a lot of junk food because of all the rowing he had to do for the movie. So you can see the movie was full of talent in every department. I think the combination of the writer and director was honestly one of the best collaborations ever, that of David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin. I mean, I personally enjoyed Steve Jobs uh, more, the one with Michael Fassbender, which is Aaron Sorkin's work, but collaborating with Danny Boyle, I think I consider it the unofficial sequel to this Aaron Sorkin biography trilogy he's working on. Some have said that The Trial of Chicago 7, the one that's on Netflix at the moment, is the third one in that trilogy, but I'm not too sure about that yet. But with the reputation of David Fincher on a film, especially with his CV of films, like I mentioned, being critically acclaimed as some of one of, you know, doing one of the best films ever, Fight Club or Seven, or even Alien Free, if you want to have a laugh at that, many were anxious and excited to work with him, especially collaborating with the writer of Hollywood. It's like Tarantino writing a movie for Christopher Nolan to direct. It's sort of the same pedigree. Um, and Rooney Mara makes an appearance and as I say appearance she's one of the characters in it and she would later work with David Fincher again for his next film which was the remake of The Girl of the Dragon Tattoo and she filmed all of her scenes in four days however the famous opening scene to the social network where Erica and Mark are on a date took 99 takes to film and the opening dialogue sequence ran for 80 pages of the script and to give you a sense of that the script is only 267 pages and the opening scene where they're having where they're having their date is 80 pages of that which is almost a third of the script which is insane so i can only assume that most of the four days were filming that opening scene there's actually still a count on Facebook that belongs to Erica Albright, which is who Rooney Mara plays, and it's just a picture of Rooney Mara, and it's still there to that day, so go check that out if you want. Um, so yeah, that part of the story um, in real life is actually fabricated. Um, since Mark was dating Priscilla Chan during the development of Facebook, she's one of the first ever Facebook users around about February 2004, and I think they're, yeah, they're married now and they have a child. I think that was uh, five years ago. 
But with Mark, um, like I said, he rented a private cinema and he went to go see the movie. And all he all he said was that they got the clothes right, indicating that they got the rest of the movie wrong. But every time Mark does a speech or gets asked a question about the movie, he does say that he wishes they did get the um, they did the film when he was dead, so he didn't have to answer all the questions every time he's out doing a speech. Considering how popular his film was, so it's it's quite a rare uh, thing for a film to make a film make a film about a real life event that happened not so long after. Um, the success story and he always states that you know they got the clothes spot on but how how they chose to fabricate most of the other stuff he just said that you know more or less four or five years of coding what he really did um, if this was actually a movie and it was completely authentic what he really did during those years was he spent four or five years coding Facebook um, and he didn't really do it to get laid but more simply because he just liked building things um, and that was it I mean, the scene with um, Sean Parker at the restaurant where they order like 50 apple teenies, Mark said that he'd never heard of an apple teeny before, let alone drink one. So afterwards, he tried one and it's now Facebook's official drink. I didn't even know there was such a thing as that, but there you go. So the themes for the movie, are, you know, as old as storytelling goes, about friendship, betrayal and what matters more, what deludes us from the things that matters the most. I mean, Sorkin even said that in a magazine interview that this is the type of thing Shakespeare would have written today if he was still alive, not trying to blow his own trumpet, but more specifically the themes of the movies and what they resonate uh, to us. I think um, what was quite genius about the movie is also with, and also with Steve Jobs as well, is how relevant the biographic film is today. I mean, most films recount tales of things that are, a blimp on the radars of history films that tell true stories of things that we didn't know about, like Richard Jewell or the movie Six on Netflix, Invictus, parts of history that has let time do its thing, only to be revived by contemporary Hollywood. But with Aaron Sorkin, he has reintroduced tales of the present, which is still fresh on our minds. Instead of revisiting nostalgia, we visit the creation of our social state, how we got to be where we are. And that's evident in films like Social Network and Steve Jobs. I mean, the films shouldn't be looked at as biographies, but more as a story of the atmosphere of what was happening when history was being made the characters are there for complete entertainment purposes the stories somewhat are fabricated and the tale adventures are made up if we did follow suit and make an accurate movie of this then we would you know be watching six hours of coding followed by a few nerdy students drinking red bull and budweiser's but that's the challenge of making a movie making something that was not as exciting at that certain point in time and throughout the creation to become watchable to entice audiences to watch what happened and this is a job and responsibility of the movie industry yes we need to entertain people but we need to check how reliable film is and how how it does connote these messages and that creates and provokes curiosity and nine out of ten people will watch a movie that is supposedly based on a true story and then they will find out how much of it was true or not the movie job isn't anymore trying to tell the true story but tell you a version of the story so it attracts people to look deeper to appreciate it more in some cases to bring up the conversation again when Richard Jules came out um, on Now TV, Clint Eastwood's new film, not many people, including myself, had heard of this man or what happened to him. Only until Clint Eastwood made the movie did people start looking him up. And this is the influence and inspiration of cinema these days. It's the classic inspiration story. Top Gun made army applications go up by 300%. FedEx applications went 160% up after the release of Castaway. When Django Unchained came out, the conversation about slavery and what is to be black was reignited and it started an interesting debate. And with the social network, 
we all know what Facebook is. We have it, but we, we got sucked into this world where we have names like Eduardo Saverin, Sean Parker, the Winklevosses, names we don't originally knew until we've seen this movie. And after that, we discovered who they are. We watched YouTube videos of the actual people to see how well they were portrayed in the movie, whether they were actually good or bad, as the movie suggests they were. And to do that with a mundane build-up, especially where the reality is six hours of constant coding every day and a few arguments here and there. It just illustrates how that mundane topic turned into the prob- you know, the probability of a film becoming the best of the decade. And if I want to see something just as mundane as uh you know as this movie can be or the actions of the reality it was i mean it turned the action through the action was the dialogue you just watch aaron sorkin's other work like the newsroom or even steve job which is on netflix he makes the boring more you know likable more bearable the films like most stories holds a very simple message and it's stronger because this happens or this happened less than 20 years ago the line in the movie that people are not looking for jobs anymore they are creating jobs and that is what one guy decided to do in his spare time while still attending classes. It's the ability to have this thirst for complete, you know, just completing something that hasn't been done before, having an idea spring in your head, making, you know, getting it from someone else maybe, but utilizing your time and effort and doing something about it. I mean, I was always on Mark's side. Doing something and coming up with the idea, you know, are two completely different things. The idea may be someone else's but where it came from or how it's executed and how you decide to develop it is all about you everyone in the world can have the best idea in the world the people who choose to sacrifice their time and effort to building this idea into a reality is the difference between the mark zuckerbergs and bill gates of the world to the everyday people who like to fantasize over winning the lottery there's a great scene in the movie where Mark finishes the coding marathon in his dorm room and then he, de- he just closes his eyes and slowly moves his head back and forth and Eduardo asks him, Mark, are you praying? And on the DVD commentary, Aaron Sorkin explained that Mark was doing what uh, he was davening, apparently, a word that comes from Yiddish in which generally refers to a prayer in Judaism, which also specifically refers to the type of head and body movement that Jews traditionally make while praying. And Sorkin mentioned on the commentary that he considered writing Eduardo's lines as Mark, are you davening instead of Mark, are you praying? To make it clearer to us, the audience, what Mark was doing. And it was just a nice touch in the movie that just further illustrates the work that Aaron Sorkin's put in and also the relevance to that scene of finishing something that seemed impossible at the start. And like most things, they always do it. Put a mark in the film, you know, carry on for whatever reason with whatever fueled him to do this, to create this start of something that was big that he wasn't even aware of yet and have this moment of pause to just sort of reflect on how hard he's worked to achieve it. And it was a start of social, you know, a social media platform where people can communicate and connect. And that was the essence of the creation. Now, it may have spawned onto other things, but there's no denying the beauty of this invention, the significance of why it works and why it's so addictive and why people can relate to why he did it. I mean, the point is the further, I mean, it's, it's, it's really to educate these people um, and what they did. It's probably telling you that this happened in a time where you existed. And this is something that happened. This is something that someone did somewhere. And this is what someone achieved by following through with basic with a basic idea. Uh, which was Harvard EDU. Anyways, that's all I have time for with The Social Network. Probably the film of the decade, if you ask many people. It's one of the most rewatchable films that holds a fast pace and doesn't slow down until the credit sequence at the end. Performance, writing, directing, lighting, everything about this movie was overperforming, and it produces a film that acts now as a documentary for where social media began. If you choose to believe the stories or not, it still acts as one of the most beautiful films done in the 2010s. 
But anyway, that's all I have time for. Uh, please subscribe to me on Google, uh, Instagram, and um, on Spotify and iTunes as well. Um, speaking of Instagram, uh, follow me on Film Exploration AH or lowercase or one word. And thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. Thank you.